If you would like to earn CPE credit for listening to the show, visit earmarkcpe.com backslash FPA. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. If you would like to earn continuing education credit for your FP&A certification from the Association of Finance Professionals for listening to the show, go to the show notes for details on how to earn the credit. Finally, if you enjoy listening to FP&A today, please go to your podcast platform of choice, click the subscribe button, and leave a rating and review of the show. And now, on to the show. From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy. FPNA Today is brought to you by Data Rails, the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Christian Martinez. Christian, welcome to the show. Hi, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, we're really excited to, to have you. And just a little bit of a backstory before I need to do an introduction is Christian was originally scheduled to join us for the AI LinkedIn Live episode, but he had to travel, and so he wasn't able to join us. And so I asked him if he would join me for an episode. He was really excited to do that. So today we're going to have the opportunity to chat one-on-one. But just a little bit about him. He's coming to us from Amsterdam. He earned his bachelor's degree in international business and his master's in banking and finance. And he has worked on multiple continents. If I have this right, you've worked in uh, the North American continent, I think in Mexico, Australia, and also in Europe, right? Yep, correct. Quite a, quite a traveled man. We're going to go ahead and start here with one of our favorite questions we like to ask everybody who's dealt with FP&A. What has been the most challenging or kind of worst budgeting experience you've ever had in your career? Yeah, that's a very good question. So I think that one of the I was like worst ones, it was also one of my first ones, basically like started in, the, in a company like mid-budget process. So it was like my first budget in that, uh, that company. And then I was not very clear on like how lengthy was the process, what to do, things like that. So then it started to be like very chaotic for me at the beginning. Luckily, like because of the support like of, of a manager and of the teams and so on, everything went well. And then in the future, I saw that like if people join like mid-budget or, or things like that, to be like extra supportive uh, with them because uh, basically it was very difficult to, to navigate um, all the complexities uh, of it. 100% agree. Whenever you join in the middle of a process, especially budget, it can be chaos if, you, if things aren't really, really clear what's expected and what's needed. So what, what's your key takeaway or learning from that experience? Yeah, so I, I guess like the main one was to, whenever you are in a new environment, try to absorb as much knowledge as possible, but at the same time to allow yourself to be like uncomfortable with it. So it's like, it's okay not to know everything from the very beginning and basically to just like have that mindset of like, I'm here like learning and basically trying to absorb as much as possible. I really do like that idea you mentioned of uh, you know being willing to be uncomfortable. I think sometimes we we want all the answers, and it's really hard when we don't know things. And so, and sometimes you just have to remind yourself it will come with time. Definitely good learning there. So why don't you go ahead and just take us through your background? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you know, what you're doing today, and 
kind of how you ended up where you're at. Yeah, definitely. So as you were saying, I'm originally from Mexico. So I did my bachelor's in there and then started working in logistics, uh, then global trade. Uh, that took me to a couple of travels. So I uh, lived in France, uh, in Paris, then in Geneva, in Switzerland, and then in Bratislava, in Slovakia. And then after that, uh, after a couple of, of years in my career, I decided I wanted to do a master's degree. So I saw this program in Monash Business School in Melbourne, in Australia, uh, that basically it was called like bank and finance, but it had the opportunity to give me a huge component of the masters of data science and of data analytics. So I ended up doing a hybrid degree between finance and data science. After that, um, I started working in the, let's say, startup ecosystem in, in Australia. Uh, so like for a startup company and then doing a couple of like financial analysis, but at the same time sales and a lot of like different other things in between. I eventually even started my own startup as well in there. And after a couple of years, I joined Kraft uh, Heinz. So basically that one was five years ago. And that took me from FP&A then to finance controllership in one of our factories. And then uh, now more recently to, to Amsterdam uh, to be leading the finance automation and now the finance analytics uh, team, basically for APAC, uh, EMEA, and Latin America. Great. So you've had uh, quite the uh, traveled career, which kind of leads me to a question. I'm curious. You've worked obviously in a lot of different roles, FP&A, controllership, automation, analytics. You did the data science degree. How is having, you know, robust experiences around finance? I would say even small, obviously small company, large company, all over the world in multiple roles. How has that helped you? How has that benefited you today? Yeah, so I guess like one of the things is that I really learned how to learn things. So it's like, as I was mentioning, like uh, how to really like absorb information of different domains on different sides of companies or different things in a quick way and to be able to like really use that knowledge. As I was mentioning before, I always try to like be comfortable with being uncomfortable uh, because I do think that that's how you really grow uh, your mindset and like your um, career. I remember even when I started to decide to study finance, I knew that it was already like a complex topic and then a lot of things to dive in into finance itself. But then I wanted to look like what's the future of finance. So then that's why I was like, okay, I need to absorb knowledge, not just about finance itself and like FNA, accounting and stuff like that, but also about like data analytics and data science and all of the like programming languages, business intelligence tools and so on. Uh, so I guess that that's the, the main uh, takeaway. Yeah. So leads me to a follow-up question as you were talking. You mentioned about the importance of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Any advice you could offer others around that? What's allowed you to get comfortable being uncomfortable? Because I think naturally it's hard for most of us. Most of us don't just go into a situation and be like, oh, good, I'm uncomfortable. You know what I mean? So how have you got to where you're that way? Yeah, no, I think to be fair, it can be like practice. One of the main things like looking back is to having that mindset of like not be like super stressed or something like that, but like really like allow yourself of like not knowing things and that's okay. And then just like having that mindset of like, okay, I am learning, so I'm not going to know everything, but it's okay. Uh, because I think like one of, that's one of the main things that a lot of people start thinking like, okay, no, I do want to be in control with everything or, of everything or like know everything or something. And that's where they get like without this like being comfortable, being comfortable. If I'm hearing you right, there's two things I hear under there. First is, you know, practice. 
you got to practice allowing yourself to get comfortable in that situation. And the second one is mindset. You got to focus on having the right mindset, having that growth mindset and being open to challenging situations that don't come natural. Shifting gears here a little bit, but recently you had talked about uh, how Microsoft announced Python is uh, coming to Excel. You know, you'd shared that on LinkedIn. So what excites you about that announcement? What made you decide to share that? And what do you think will happen with that? Ever since I like started learning a lot of these like, uh, data analytics tools like um, seven, eight years ago, I discovered Python, basically. And then back in the day, in order to get Python up and running on your computer, it's open source, so it's available for everyone, but you needed to install one thing and other thing, and then eventually get up to this like very black screen uh, where you didn't know really what to do. Then you start learning it, and then you start typing code and so on and so on. But it was basically very uh, daunting, all of the environment to use uh, Python. After learning it for, for a bit, like for a couple of years, I realized the power of Python for finance and for everyone like uh, that uses Excel. So I decided to teach it. So I was teaching it already to people, but as well, we tried to, to do it like a little bit uh, less daunting and a bit more user-friendly and so on and so on uh, in all of my conferences and workshops. But still, a lot of people were saying like, okay, but it's a separate thing that I need to learn, a separate tool, separate environment, and so on and so on. And right now with these announcements of like using Python within Excel itself, now it's just a function. So like how you can get Python in your Excel is literally just like equal PY, and then you start in there uh, using Python. So I think that that's a very big thing, like really like a game changer for all of us, like in FP&A, in accounting, in finance, because it allows us to use like natively the tool that all of us are comfortable with, so Excel, but use the power of this program language. Thank you for sharing and a little bit of your journey there. So just so our audience understands, I'm sure we have some people that are quite familiar with Python and others that really don't know it. You mentioned Python's a language, but why is it uh, so valuable to finance people? What are some of the things Python allows you to do? Can you maybe share a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So I always think that Python can allow you to do three, three things. Improve the way you analyze data, then make consolidations or making uh, manual tasks faster or automated. And the third one is basically improving your ways of working as a whole. So in the first part on the, the analytics space, with Python, you can create, like, let's say, better and more powerful visuals or better and more powerful like forecasts, for example. Then on the second one, with like automation, consolidation, all of those things, a lot of times people in uh, FP&A, they struggle that they need to do the same task every day or every week or every month or every year with budgets or, or something like that. And it's very time consuming and it's very manual. So with Python, then what you get is a way to automate those tasks and really relieve that time so that you can spend that time better elsewhere. Either like business partnering, or even if you are spending that time at 7 p.m., then you can shift years and then actually spend time with your family, for example. <laughs> so many like, uh, better things. And the third one, just like improving like ways of working. I do think like by learning uh, Python or any other program language, it also shifts a little bit your mindset and then it allows you to understand data better, which at the same time, it will improve the way you work and where you interact with your uh, with your data. Thank you. That is a great explanation. I appreciate you know, the three points you made there about helping with analysis, automation, 
and this improving the way you work with data. It's something new you learn. And as you learn new tools, you learn new ways to work with data that you might not be able to do otherwise. So with that being said, how do you think it will change the way most people work in Excel? Do you see it having a big difference in how finance people work in Excel? Yeah, so like I just think that with all of these new tools, like it's gonna be like Python Excel or even like ChatGPT and stuff like that, it's going to be like a set of people that know and understand and embrace these tools that will allow them to really grow their careers and also improve the way they work on things. And other type of people that they don't want to embrace all of these new tools and they want to um, remain on, let's say, just Excel without Python or without ChatGPT and so on. And basically it will be like a little bit more like, okay, maybe it's in the market, but they won't be able to do all of these like powerful things. I was not present back then, but I imagine right now we're in the same era as whenever Excel was first invented. Yes, you can do accounting or financial planning in piece of paper, numbers, and so on. And then came up with a calculator, then it became Excel. And I imagine there were a lot of people that they did not want to use Excel. And they still uh, needed like piece of papers, calculators, pens, and so on to do the analysis. And again, uh, the people that shifted and that embraced this uh, new technology on, on Excel, I'm sure like they improved the way uh, they do work a lot more rather than the people that stay uh, with the calculators. Yeah, you know, it's like anything. You have early adopters, you have the general population, then you always kind of have some laggards, whatever it might be, whether it's ChatGPT, Python, Excel, computers. You know, I remember the uh, early days of Excel and I tell this story and I think I may have even told it in a prior episode, but I really like it is I was taking a VBA course. At uh, when I was at American Express, they're teaching some basic VBA. And remember, the guy gets up there and he tells us the importance of automation. He goes, I started my career, it was like my first day at Amex. I sat down and this guy was showing me a process, you know, and he had his 10 key calculator, the old 10 keys to the side with a little, you know, paper ribbon. And then he had his uh, computer and he had a spreadsheet open, typed in a bunch of numbers, one row after another, like you know, 20 numbers. Then he went and added them all up on his 10 key, took that number and copied it to the bottom row. And the guy that was with him said, I'm pretty sure it will add those together for you. And the guy goes, I don't know about that, but this is how I do it. And just moved on. Like, I'm not even going to try to learn that. <laughs> it was just like, it was just one of those where it's like, you know how much time you could save yourself by just listening for a minute. And so I think sometimes we all do that in different ways where it's like, we just listen to others or try something. We could save our lot of ourselves a lot of time, but. It takes that right mindset and that willingness to get out of our comfort zone, as you mentioned. Definitely. So, you know, mentioned earlier ChatGPT and just technology in general. So I know you're a big proponent of technology. I know in your current role, you do a lot with that. So where does that passion come from? Have you always been interested in technology? Is it something that just kind of came when you did your data science degree? Or how have you developed such a passion for utilizing technology? Yeah, no, it's a very good question. And it actually, I was thinking about that. And I feel like I have always liked technology, yes, and like futuristic things. But one of the main things of why I was interested in technology within finance is because I had a passion or interest on doing things better than what it was done before. So I started looking of ways uh, to do it better. And it was like, yes, you could, uh, you would need to increase your knowledge. And as well, like I tried to do that as well. But I found out like with certain tools that maybe they are not like fully applied, like back then in finance, then I could do things even like faster or better than the normal regular ways. 
So that's why it's like started that curiosity of like understanding all of these tools. Actually, my first one was like in Excel, was BBA as well. So I like learned a little bit of that and I was like, okay, yes, it can improve the way uh, you do certain things. Then my second one, which I didn't continue that much, but it was SAS, so like SAS. And that was basically like, they told us a school and then still like they told us like, oh yeah, you can do this, you can do that and so on. But then I found out that the licenses were very, very expensive. Yes. Then someone in my like more like data science uh, classes, they told me about like, oh, there's this thing called like open source uh, languages. And they told me about R and they told me about Python and so on. So I was like, okay, I will learn both. So I learned a little bit of both. Then someone told me about SQL, like SQL. I learned that as well and so on and so on. So I guess like every tool that I discovered, I found like, okay, it could be used to improve the way people do things. And that's why like, I guess the, the passion came. It sounds like there's two things that I hear there. One, you've always had a passion for kind of futuristic and technology and where things are going, but your passion to learn these things is really fueled by trying to automate and streamline processes, whether it be SQL, VBA, Python, R, whatever it might be. It was a lot of it was about, okay, this will make me more efficient. I'll be able to save time and focus on what's important. Yeah, definitely. And apart from that, that just uh, automation as well, like, better at like analytics as well because i saw like let's say like a forecast like if you do like a run rate okay it's a forecast but then i discovered this more advanced way of forecasting with like machine learning and all of these like algorithms and so on so i really like was like very excited about like okay in this way you can really do like a better forecast or even of like okay just like with more like descriptive analytics okay with business intelligence tools such as tableau or power bi you can really see what's happening uh, with your data. And then you can advance to a more like prescriptive analytics of like, now you understand what's happening, then how can you make it happen a better future for your company or for your like problem that you're trying to solve? Love the uh, point on analytics, right? Often in FPNA, we get stuck on the descriptive. We get a little bit into the diagnostic, but we often miss the predictive and prescriptive. And the predictive and prescriptive often take machine learning, data science tools that go beyond what some of us may know or what we're used to. Now, I'm a big uh, believer that using statistical modeling, I haven't done you know algorithms or machine learning, but a lot of times trying to use statistics saying, okay, is there a regression here? Or what a couple of variables, things like that. I remember you know, one of the companies we had, a, we had a tool called Jump, which was a very simplified version of SAS that they, they put out. And we used that for a lot of analytics. And it definitely made a difference. So question for you, and I'm going to go back to the manual work for a second, and then we'll talk more about analytics. But I'm curious to get your perspective, because I think there's a debate between how much of you know, the manual work that goes on in finance today is due to lack of tools. We don't have the proper tools to do it. Because I've asked that before in posts, and most of the time, most people say it's due to tools. Or do you think most of it's due to skill set and mindset? Kind of based on your experience, what have you seen in that area? Yeah, no, no, that's a very good question. I actually will divide it in three, and the three will have like 33.3%. <laughs> the first one, it's uh, for sure, as you mentioned, like tools. Without like a um, tool, like you cannot do like, let's say like automatic process and so on. And it can be any tool. Like it can be Excel, it can be Python, or it can be like a more advanced like Microsoft Azure, for example. Then you mentioned as well like skills and mindset. 
that on its own is really important. And then even if you have the best tools, if you do not know how to operate and if you do not want to operate it, then it won't work as well. But then the third one that I will mention as well, it's basically the process itself. Because a lot of times you do not need a better, the best tool and then you do not need the skills to handle that best tool or, or anything. But if you have a better process, then it can already be streamlined a lot, which is, I guess, like combined with what you mentioned, like mindset. So like that mindset process, I would put it like on the third part of like really having that hunger for improving the way you do things every day. If you have that, then it's like way more important than let's say like just having the right tool and just having the right expertise. Great point. I like how you mentioned process because if people have the right mindset and you're constantly striving to improve processes, you're going to develop your skill set. Even if you don't have the tools, you can get a lot of things done. You know, I worked for a company where our tool set lacked severely, and I had to do a ton of stuff in Power Query that really should have been done in a database. And it was able to make a lot of difference in the company because I continually challenged myself and tried to figure out how to do it because it's like, I can't do this all manual. You know, this just doesn't make sense. And so I had to find ways to automate it. And it, you know, it allowed me to make progress. Could have we done more with the right tools? For sure. Could it have saved me a lot of time? Yes. But I think the biggest thing it taught me was with the right mindset, you can do what we call a digital transformation. You could start that transformation journey. And over time, hopefully you get the right tools. And what I've learned is tools is the enabler. If you're not fixing the process, the tools aren't going to solve your problem. One of my favorite quotes, and it's by a consulting firm, a Hasker or something like that. He says, um, old processes plus new technology equals expensive, broken, old processes. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just love that because it's the reminder that you talked about, you really emphasize so well there is the importance of the process and challenging the process at every step. Thank you, I appreciate that one. You know what it is like, 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders, multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates. You never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop, breathe. DataRails is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. DataRails takes data from all of your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. Cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up to date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel, embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarails.com. I know you've been a big proponent of generative AI. I know you've uh, talked about that quite a bit. I believe you have some articles and things. What have you seen that's made you such a big proponent? What is it that had you jumping on the bandwagon so early, so to speak? My data science background, I have always uh, experimented on ways mostly to use machine learning, as I was mentioning, that is part of the whole umbrella of like artificial intelligence and so on. 
So I knew already the power of like machine learning, but then especially with these uh, latest cases of like generative AI with like ChatGPT at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, I really like how to how they make it so easy to use for everyone. So when I discovered the first time like uh, ChatGPT, started like trying to use it, and especially with those little use cases that they have on their um, like the, the web app, let's say, and I started like trying things. And from there, I became really excited because everything that I was like, keep on trying, I, it just gave me like more and more ideas. So I guess like from the start of like January, February, March and so on, I was spending almost all my evenings, like from 7 to 10 p.m., you know, like playing with like ChatGPT and then trying to do like uh, different things and then trying to like see what it can be done, what it cannot be done and so on, trying to do a bit of research of other people as well. And then eventually I decided like, okay, yeah, I do need to share this knowledge because I know that it will be very powerful in finance, in FPA accounting. So I tried to do that uh, from there, just like through various means. But it was basically because of that excitement on how powerful the tool was. Appreciate that. So stepping back for one second before ChatGPT, you mentioned you started on machine learning, and it reminded me of something I wanted to share. So FP&A Trends, which I believe you've written some articles for, Larissa, right? They do an annual survey of FP&A professionals, and they ask them to rate their budget, and they break it into three categories, good to great, average, basically useless or not, not good. And on average, this is last year, so 2022, they did one again this year, but the prior one, 39% of people said they had a good to great budget or forecast. I think 16% said they were useless, which makes me wonder why they were doing it, but that's another story. And it got better, you know, if you had, if you did driver-based, it got a little bit better, not much, like 1%. If you added cloud, it was about 50% if you were using a cloud tool to help with the process. But those that were using machine learning, it jumped all the way to 61%. And I think only 4% basically said their plan wasn't any good. And so you saw a huge improvement in the overall budget and forecast by utilizing technology with human judgment and human expertise. And so I just really like how you mentioned machine learning because that's always stuck with me and the value. That's why I like seeing things like what Microsoft has done with releasing their uh, FIN, their open algorithm they use for their finance department. You know, Facebook has done the same with profit. So there's a lot of things out there that with AI, getting back to what we talked about, it'll be much easier for people to use some of those algorithms without having to necessarily understand the details, go through the schooling and you know under, understand how it works, but to be able to look at it and say, okay, yeah, that makes sense, or no, I would adjust it here. Kind of what are your thoughts on that? Do you think you know, with AI, it will, make, it will open up machine learning and that ability to use that data for those who aren't maybe technically inclined, haven't learned programming languages or algorithms or those type of things. I was actually hearing on one of the conferences in here in Amsterdam about like AI and technology and finance, that one of the main things that many people are trying to do, it's explainable AI. So like it can be, let's say these machine learning algorithms, but which one of them that actually can be explained in simple terms of why they are behaving like that to other people. There are some algorithms that they really cannot be explained, and it's like a black box approach that I will tell you like, okay, your budget is that next year, your performance will be minus 10 million EBITDA. And then if you just have that, it won't be useful for anyone. But if you really know like, okay, it will be minus 10 million because of driver A, driver B, driver C, and because of these conditions and so on, then you can understand, okay, what can I change so that it became better? 
let's say. And then with all of these machine learning algorithms, the main thing that I always like trying to get as well is like this explainability of the algorithm and then how to show it to people without a technical uh, background, but that they will be able to understand what are the levers that they need to pull in order to uh, do certain thing, whatever like the actual like, algorithm is doing, either forecasting, budgeting, or, or things like that. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to watch. And I love how you called it explainable, right? If you just say, hey, here's your forecast, it's down 10 million, load it. Everybody in finance is going to immediately go, uh, I don't trust it. Yeah. yeah. Help me understand, right? Because I know finance people hate a black box. And as a general rule, you know, you'll pry Excel out of our cold, dead hands, as a lot of people like to say. Right. So having that explanation of, oh, hey, three million is due to this driver. Four is this. Three is this. And then providing context of saying, well, the following changes could help reduce that. Like you lost some salespeople. If you hired, you could reduce that risk, you know, giving you some options or things to think about. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think. So if we have someone in our audience that's uh, listening to this episode and they want some ideas on where to start with generative AI, what would you tell them? Where should they start? It really depends on what thing you want to do with generative AI. If you want to juice it, then there's like one way. But if you want to build your own, there's another way. In the terms of like juicing it, one of the things, if you try and open any generative AI tool, like either Google Bard or ChatGPT and so, so on and so on, and then you start trying to do things, then you will get into one stage. Then basically the second part is like trying to get to how to do things in FP&A, in finance and accounting for your work. And then you will hit again, another spot of like, okay, now I know those type of things. Then if you try to learn from other people that have done already that, then you can understand really how to apply it to your work, but in a more, let's say, quick way. So like instead of spending, um, as I was mentioning, three hours of your evening every night during months, then you could spend like two hours of your evening with one person that have spent all of this time and then they can tell you basically what to do. Or you can read articles, books or something like that of people that are, again have spent all of the time and then they will be able to tell you uh, what to do in terms of the practical application. Then if you really want to know about them, the second part that I was mentioning of like coding your own uh, generative AI, that one for sure is a more technical approach that you can do as well, but then um, I'll recommend them to really learn a little bit more Microsoft Azure and more on like programming. So it sounds like for you learning how to use the tool, you know, there's a couple things. One, just starting by experimenting, whether it be BARD, whether it be ChatGPT, whether it be uh, Claude AI or any of any other tool out there. So many are using AI today. Start experimenting a little bit with it. First, just kind of on a personal, just trying different things and try to learn some work-related things. But also another great way to learn I'm hearing is go ahead and read about and learn from others like yourself who have spent maybe 500 hours already using the tool and can save you some time. Just like with anything, there's going to be those people who have put in the work and will be able to allow you to get up to speed quicker. Yeah, definitely. Any, you mentioned, you know, reading books or resources, any good articles or books or maybe videos, anything you've seen that you really like around ChatGPT? Um, yeah, so like I also discovered uh, this like eight years ago, but like there's this website called Medium that is basically like for, for articles and blogs and things like that, but a bit more, it's about everything, but about like technology 
it's very, very useful. So it has been like my go-to source uh, from about like eight years ago in all of these topics. Now I even became like a writer myself as well in there. But then I do think that that's one of the very good um, websites to to get to know about like your generative AI or that's analytics in finance as a whole. Great. So we'll have uh, that in our show notes. You'll send us that website. We'll add that if there's a couple articles you like. But I I agree that's a good good resource. So next, I want to ask. I know you teach an advanced ChatGPT course for finance professors professionals. I believe you teach that with Nicholas Boucher, if I remember right. So how did the course? come about? Tell me a little bit about the course and what people can expect from it. Yeah, definitely. So we both, like uh, Nicholas and myself, were both like, again, putting all that work and then a lot of hours like uh, researching and doing things like with the ChatGPT and then started to like share our knowledge mainly on LinkedIn. So then one day uh, we contacted each other on LinkedIn and said like, oh yeah, look, we have very good content on this. I have very good content on this and so on and so on. And then how to really make it more accessible for more uh, finance folks. So then uh, we decided to create this course in Maven. And basically it's a cohort based. So we do it every like one or two months. We get together around 20 to 30 like finance and FP&A professionals. Uh, we don't want to do it like very like, uh, with a lot of people in the same one. Because the way we teach is like it's very, very practical, but at the same time, like people come up with their own data sets, with their own problems, and we solve them like right there in the course itself. So it's like a bit more like uh let's say like boutique approach than your normal LinkedIn learning course. And we really try to get to people to a level of expertise in ChatGPT so that they can really either automate the process in their work or improve the way they do their normal things at working finance. Great. So it sounds like a very hands-on type course. I mean, obviously you have your frameworks and the things you teach, but you want them to bring data sets. You want them to be practicing during the course so that they walk away with something they can take with them that will allow them to be more efficient at work. Definitely. Yes. Cool. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. What's been your favorite thing teaching that course? What have you enjoyed most? The learning, actually. Because a lot of times, like, I always believe that the best way to learn fully something is by teaching it. Because whenever I will be like teaching this, like so many like questions or even examples of like, oh, I have this problem at work. Can we solve it? Uh, so we do it in two days. And a lot of times the first day uh, we get that question and I really like, don't sleep until I get like all the answers for those questions. And I'm like, because of that, I learn so much more because there are so many questions from either other parts of finance, a bit more specific, that I couldn't uh, pose it myself. But then now that someone says it, then I really, really dive in until um, I get to know how to, to do it. Great. And I've done that as well, gone down the rabbit hole. I get a question from someone, whether it's Excel or whatever. And can you do this? It's like, well, I'm sure you can, but I have no idea how. Let me see if I could figure that out. And then you send an email going, okay, here's how you do that. I know what you're talking about. I've been there. Yeah, you want to figure it out. I'm 100% in agreement with you. If you want to learn a subject well or know if you know a subject well, teach it. Because that's when you really realize, do you grasp the concepts where you can make them simple and help others understand them? So I'm curious, what's the coolest thing you've seen done with generative AI? Like what's your... Thing that maybe just kind of has blown your mind or like, wow, that is just amazing. Anything stand out for you? Yeah, so, so many things to be fair, but one of the kind of new ones. So within ChatGPT, if you get the premium subscription, you get this code interpreter tool that's basically run Python code. But then you can input some data 
of like let's say like uh, some publicly available data because also never input private data, but publicly available data into their an Excel file, and then with a series of commands you can say like analyze this data, give me some descriptive statistics, give me a bar chart that says like okay how many assets we have on this, uh, give me things, give me even a forecast using linear regression, and suggest me next steps. And then it will do everything automatically for you, step by step. If it doesn't know how to do something, or even if it has a problem, it solves it already again. Like it tells you, like, I encourage a problem on something, but then I'll redo it. And then redo it and redo it until it gets every uh, answer for you. Even, as I was mentioning, those next steps of, like, now, JGPT uh, suggests you to do certain things. And you can even say, like, export all of this as a PDF. So then, obviously, once you check the answers, once you, you check if the analysis is sound, you can share it already within just, like, two minutes of checking and typing that prompt in there. That's, I think, well, one of the main things that really uh, was a very interesting uh, for me. Yeah, I, I love uh, Code Interpreter. I've used it as well. I've used it to uh, you know, analyze a public company. Like, give me the following ratios, create a horizontal analysis. You know, it was showing one of the classes we have, the things that we could do. And in one case, I'd taken, you know, one company's data off Wikipedia, just scraped it with Power Query, loaded it straight to Code Interpreter, and had it summarizing a bunch of their data. And, you know, I think they were quite surprised. It was funny. One of the leaders goes, wow, that data is available publicly? Was more worried about that than the fact that we could analyze it all. And I just kind of laughed. I'm like, got it off Wikipedia. I've been amazed some of the things with Code Interpreter and the different tools out there. So definitely an exciting time. And I think for me, the thing that's most exciting is to see how this will continue to help us be more efficient. I've heard it called the productivity revolution. And I really think that's what it's about is being more productive. And hopefully it will allow us to continue to eliminate more of that low-hanging fruit. I know stuff you work on having worked in automation and analytics and helping people be more effective so they're not spending as much time cleaning data and prepping data and all those types of things so they can really focus on the insights and driving value for the business. So, you know, with that being said, how do you see chat GPT and just generative AI in general changing FP&A moving forward? Like, how do you see maybe over the next year or two and then say five years from now, how do you think it's going to kind of unfold if you were to guess? Right now, as I was mentioning, there's a lot of potential already that people can do like in FPNA with the tool as of it uh, today. It's just that adoption curve, right? So then I do think that like the next year, for example, that adoption curve will be more like, okay, of people really using the tool and just like a very small people to be like more like laggards, like not using it for the same use cases that we have right now. So that's one thing. But then the second one as well is like, I have seen this, let's say, beginning of kind of like decision intelligence that one of the things that a lot of people like in FPNA do is like analyze uh, different data and so on, then put it on different graphs and then present it to different stakeholders in a PowerPoint on some slides or some sort and inputting some commentary in there to explain that. This uh, decision intelligence like with generative AI, it can generate all of that for you like automatically. So then you can spend more time like really understanding the business and knowing again that part that I was mentioning on the prescriptive analytics, like knowing how we can improve our performance, knowing which business unit we should like really help, which category we should go to, and so on and so on. So I do think like with them, let's say all of these just like commentary making or variance analysis or just like descriptive analytics things, 
that can generative AI can do for you, then uh, FPNA professionals will have more time for the other part. Well, it's definitely exciting. I appreciate you sharing kind of where you see it going. And I know I look forward to seeing, you know, what additional tools and things continue to come. But even today, there's a lot we can do. And if you haven't experimented, the biggest thing I tell people is experiment. Just start learning, start trying new things and seeing how it works. Don't wait till it's on your desk at work and you're expected to use it to figure it out. Start now. All right, so now we're going to move into our section. We call it the get to know you section. I got four questions I'm going to ask you. You don't get more than 30 seconds to answer each or any of these questions. So keep it kind of brief and we'll run through each of them. So the first one is, what is something interesting about you that not many people know? Something we wouldn't find online, something kind of that makes you unique. Yep, I guess like one thing that I was thinking of that is that I have done a lot of extreme sports like paragliding, skydiving, scuba diving, and so on, mainly in Australia. But then the main interesting part is like, I did not enjoy them at all. So like, I tried them once. I didn't want it to try, but <laughs> I was like, not for me. So you didn't like any of them? Any of them. <laughs> I was going to ask which was your favorite, but you answered that. <laughs> I like sports in general, not extreme sports. Like I, I love football, for example. Now, which football? Are we talking soccer football or American football? Uh, no, like soccer football. That's what I figured. I just had to make sure. <laughs> That's funny. So if you could meet one person in the world, dead or alive, who would you meet and why? Yeah, so this one, I guess like it's kind of a cliche for like people within my domain of like technology and futuristic and stuff like that. But not now. Ever since I was like uh, younger, I really was like looking up to, to Elon Musk because of all of these ideas of like, how to improve the, wor uh, the world with like, okay, Tesla and then like, okay, self-driving cars, but at the same time, like non-fuel cars. And then like Solar City, that it was basically like solar panels and then SpaceX, like trying to go to Mars and so on and so on. Uh, so I would say like uh, him, that would be like the main person I would really want to, to meet. That's a great one. He's definitely uh, pushed forward technology and done, done a lot. So he'd be a fun one to have a uh, dinner with, so to speak. All right, so this next one we like to ask is just kind of curious to see what you say. So what is the last thing you Googled, looked up on YouTube, or asked generative AI about that was related to finance, FP&A, or Excel? Yeah, so I guess like it's similar to what we were discussing, but the latest one, it's how to get uh, for everyone Python within Excel. So like right now, it has been launched, it has been announced, but then it really depends on the computer that you have, on the uh, system that you have, and so on and so on. So I was like really trying to dive more of like, okay, how to tell people to really uh, be able to access it. Maybe for some of them, now I have discovered it needs to be buy a new computer. But then for a lot of them, it can be like, oh yeah, you need to do this step, this step, and this step. So that was the, the last one that I was like uh, Googling and getting into the rabbit hole of finding out. I, I'm not surprised. I could see you doing that. So... This one is one we ask everybody. We've asked it since the beginning of the show. What is your favorite thing about Excel? Feature, function? Yeah, so I have two, if, that, if I may. But the first we'll one- give, We'll give you two. <laughs> it's the automatic uh, waterfall charts. So in finance, there's like these like waterfall charts that are basically start somewhere, then up and down, up and down, and then end up somewhere. When I first started with like working in finance, there are a lot of people working on this very big file that they have like 
I feel like five or six different uh, rows and uh, different columns. And they're telling me, like, yes, the numbers need to be exactly in this way and then this calculation and so on, so on, so on to make this graph, the wonderful um, like charter graph. And then I discovered that like, if you just put like the numbers in a row and then like, okay, generating like the wonderful chart, it was quite done automatically for you. Yes, you needed to change a couple of things and totals and colors and so on, uh, but it was basically that. So I think that was one of the, the my favorite features uh, when it was like launched. The second one, just because it's flexibility, it's a very simple formula, but like some ifs, especially before Python, before Tableau, anything else. If you really just work in Excel, what I normally used to do is like having all of my data in one tab as database, let's say like kind of like database for whatever type of analysis I used to do. And then mainly with some functions, then I could generate like any type of like your uh, table I wanted or like graphs and so on uh, in a very flexible way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Both great uh, tools, the sum ifs and the new waterfall chart. I remember when it used to not be automatic in Excel and you know different ways would people would create it. And I had one boss and it's probably the best method I've seen, but it was complex is was using a scatter plot to build the waterfall and using some error bars and things like that. And it actually gave you more control than the old, some of the old you know methods, but it wasn't easy to follow. I remember reading the article the first time and I'm like, what in the world are they doing? But after a while of using his file, I got the hang of it. I was grateful when they came out with the waterfall chart because it made it so much easier for everybody. We're heading into our wrap up here. Just have two questions left for you. So the first would be, what advice would you offer to someone starting a career in FP&A today? So they're just starting out. What's the advice you'd give them? I would say, like, try to learn one new thing every week. That would be my main thing. It could be analytics, as I like, for example, but it could be as well, like, dive more into the business and knowing more about like, the categories that you are like, supporting with or, or learning about like, the factories that you are in your business unit or learn about, um, like, I don't know, like capital expenditures, whatever. But like, if you really like learn one new thing like every week, like it really adds up. Great advice. So learn something every week. And so last question here, if someone wants to get a hold of you, they want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I think it's LinkedIn. I'm very active in there. Uh, a lot of people have reached out to me in the past as well. I always try to be checking up like my messages and so on and trying to like uh, help people. So yeah, feel free to, to reach out. Well, thank you for uh, joining us on the show. We really appreciate it. And we'll mention that in the show notes and some of the other things we've talked about. I've enjoyed the discussion. I'm sure our audience will as well. So we'll let you go and enjoy your evening as I know it's uh, nighttime over there. But thank you for uh, carving out some time today, Christian. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. 